The year was 1999. And for those of you who were too young or maybe not even born yet to remember or know, it was about to be the turn of the century, the change of the millennium. And we didn't know what to expect. There was a a term that was used called Y2K, the year 2000, Y2K. And there was a thought that all computers would basically completely malfunction because forever when we would enter in the year, we would just put in 99 or 78 or whatever. Instead of the 1999, we just put in 99. And so now computers would have to add two extra digits and it was the complete unknown. People thought there was going to be pandemonium. It was going to be craziness. Who knew? And so it was this little bit of a, at least in my life, this sense of be thankful, be grateful what you ha- for what you have, because we don't know what's going to happen at the turn of the century. And I remember this collective feeling, at least again in my world, of, of gratitude and thankfulness. And that's what I want to talk about today in hopefully a meaningful way. And I want to share a story with you guys. And uh, it's going to center on gratitude and a journey that I personally took. So welcome to my first annual Thanksgiving Day special right here on Big Time Small Talk. I almost said Small Time Big Talk. What is that? I don't know the name of my own show. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk. See, I do know the name of the show. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and welcome to my first annual Thanksgiving Day special. Even though it right now is Thanksgiving Eve, I wanted to create a show that for those of you who are maybe alone this Thanksgiving or you generally spend your Thanksgiving alone, or maybe you're in a different country and it's not Thanksgiving, but you just want to listen to a show, or you usually are with your family, but you can't be with them because it's COVID, or any reason you want to be listening to a podcast, either Thanksgiving Eve night when I post it, or Thanksgiving Day. I used to hate growing up when all of my favorite shows would go on hiatus for the holidays. Like, yeah, they deserve vacations like anybody else. But I'm like, couldn't they make a show that airs during Thanksgiving? That was when I was home. That was when we had more time to watch TV or, you know, set the VCR. I'm just like, I still exist. I want to see what's happening on my favorite show. So it was annoying to me. Even I I love and loved and love talk radio and they would take vacations too. And so I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be that show. I mean, I can record this whenever I want so I can still spend time with my family and have a wonderful Thanksgiving, but still record a show for you guys. So maybe someday it'll be big hoopla or something extra, 
But um, for now, it's still me. But what makes it special is it's in honor of this holiday, Thanksgiving. And for those of you who've listened to other episodes of the show, you know that I try to be my authentic self and sort of just, as they say, riff off the top of my head. Like I I will hear something or be inspired by something or have a topic idea and I'll put it in my phone and try to think about it later. But a lot of times, and not always, but more often than not, I don't even know what I'm going to say until I sit down at my desk here. And I knew I wanted to talk about gratitude and thankfulness. It's kind of easier to say the word gratitude than thankfulness. So I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably. But I knew I wanted to talk about gratitude because it's Thanksgiving, right? A time to be thankful. And I tried to think about what I wanted to say about gratitude and I thought that maybe I would share my story of, it's kind of a real, I think it's an interesting story of how I actually became a motivational speaker and entrepreneur sort of long before I actually was. (laughs) That, That probably makes no sense, but bear with me. That's the story I'm going to share with you. And it's it's based in gratitude. And there is a point here. And I just want to take you on the journey and sort of show you as using myself as an example about how we just don't know what will lead to what. Like something small, a decision you might make or a person you meet can lead to something huge that you will someday be grateful for. And at the moment, you may have absolutely no idea. But it leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing, and so on and so on. So that's what happened to me. And as I've said in past episodes, I am an entrepreneur. And I always felt like that's such a big word. And one of the things, as a side note here, that I talk about, I, I started a women's business empowerment event. And I did it, I've done it three years in a row now. And it's called Power Up. This year was altered because of the pandemic. And we did it through Zoom. And it wasn't the same, I have to say, because part of motivating people and having a motivational event is feeling the energy in the room. And my expertise is in creating experiences. And that is one of the things I'm passionate about. Whatever it is, I, I with this show, I try to create an experience that when you listen, you come away with something, you learn something, you feel something, you feel connected, you go, oh my gosh, I'm not alone, sharing, whatever. And um, so with Power Up, it's always been about connecting women, creating this experience that for several hours is just this magnetic, um, inspirational event that I'm trying to put it into words that when women leave, they feel like they can change their lives in some way. And I had to make it about business because business is something that business says will buy into. If you say, I really want to create a feel good, motivational, inspirational event, some businesses will sign their employees up, but many will go, "Mm, 
that's self-help, you can do that on your own. But in order to get more women to come, I had to sort of make it a business-based event that's about connecting and inspiring you to do whatever it is you want to do professionally and let that carry on into your life in some way. Um, so to start the story, um, <clears throat> long before Power Up, I moved to where I live now, which is the desert, the low desert of Southern California. I live in the southernmost county of the state, in Cal state of California, southeasternmost county, just east of San Diego, um, south of the Palm Springs area. And it is an agricultural valley. And when I met my husband, I was living in Los Angeles and pursuing many creative things. I had, like I've mentioned before, I pursued acting and did some singing and I had my own business. I had a website business um, that was for women, this whole thing that I won't get into, but it was basically a lifestyle website and I had sold that. And um, to pay the bills, often I had waited tables and I also worked in talk radio as a producer and I'm trying to think what else. I did so many things. But everything I've always done has been in the creative space. And that's where I feel like I thrive. And that's my passion, right? That's, as I've said in a past episode, that's my purpose. I want to connect through creativity. And so when I moved to this valley where I live now, which is, again, an agricultural valley, um, farming is the number one industry, billion dollar industry, multi, I think it's more than one billion, but billions of dollars. If you eat fruits and vegetables, you most likely got them from here during the winter time. I think it's something like 73% of all the fruits and vegetables that are shipped out across the country come from Imperial County that's in the wintertime. The rest of the year, other farmers can grow things. But when everything else is frozen and snow and they can't grow, you know, because it's too cold, we here in Southern California grow your fruits and vegetables. So you're welcome. And my husband is in the farming industry. He runs an agricultural, um, industrial agriculture business, which is a harvesting company. So they harvest grains and seeds. So if you've ever planted grass seed, that's what they harvest. If you've ever wanted to grow or feed, if you have cattle or horses, whatever, I won't get into too many details, but that's what they do. And <clears throat> moving to a valley that focuses on industrial and border patrol and, you know, sort of nuts and bolts foundation industry. There's not a lot of creative jobs here, almost none. We don't have our local TV station. Our local TV station, believe it or not, is in Arizona, which I live about an hour, maybe 40, 45 minutes from the border of Arizona. And then as you get in a little deeper, there's Yuma, Arizona, this, uh, I don't know how big it is around around 200,000 Yuma, Arizona, and that's our TV station. So when we watch the news, they sort of, it's almost like when you live in Connecticut, and you get news from New York, or I've never lived in the central part of the country where maybe states border each other. But 
they just refer to it as the valley. So we get news from there and they do new news from here. So it's a very different place. When you live in LA, it's the center of the universe. I also lived in New York City. It's the center of the universe. So to go from places where everything happens and you have access to restaurants and experiences and, you know, all kinds of jobs from financial to creative to whatever, you know, just the gamut and to come to a valley where unless you want to work in prisons, border, border patrol, be a nurse or a doctor or, you know, work in agriculture or anything industrial, this is not the place for you. So I got here and my running joke is I cried for the first four years. And it's kind of true because I thought, what am I going to do here? I have fallen in love with this amazing man and I have uprooted my life to live here with him because he has children, my stepchildren, and I could never see myself marrying a man that visited his children, you know, two weeks in the summer and one weekend at Christmas and that whole thing. And, you know, if that's something that you do or you know someone who does that, I I completely respect your decision. But for me, I thought if I marry a man that won't stay grounded with his children, what happens if things get tough with us? I want my life to be more difficult, and it was a commitment, but I want my life to be more difficult because it's hard to be a step parent. And I'm going to definitely do some episodes about that in the future. But I try not to spend too much time talking about my stepkids because you never know how something can be misconstrued, and especially on a podcast or a radio show or something. So I'm like, maybe when they're older, right? And so I chose to move here to be with him. And there was not even, you know, there was nothing on the table where we could move somewhere else because he's very involved with his children. And that's one of the things I actually love about him. Would my life be easier if we got to live where we chose and he visited the kids or they visited once in a while? Absolutely. Because it's difficult to be a step parent in ways that you cannot imagine if you are not a step parent. It is heartbreaking because you're not their main parent. So it's not like they come to you when they have good news. They don't come to you for support when they have bad news. You sort of get what you get now, or you kind of work down at the bottom of the totem pole is what you end up with. And so you love them and you financially pay for them. and they You are just not the center of their universe, which rightly so, they have a mom and a dad and they have an, an additional step parent. So, you know, it makes sense. But they don't see you, or in this case, me, as an individual who has stepped in with five. I have five stepkids. And it was one prior relationship. Sometimes when you mention that you have five stepkids, people assume, oh my gosh, how many times was this guy married? How many kids did he have? No, he was married once and had five five kids with one woman. And so it's not like I have one or two stepkids or even three or four, I have five. And they're such great and unique people. And I've learned about myself and I've had all these great experiences collectively, but it's been very, very painful and very difficult. Okay. So that being said, 
I moved to this valley and I'm thinking, all right, I'm making this commitment. I'm in love with this man. I'm falling in love with my stepchildren because it's a process. You don't, you know, instantly fall in love with them just because they're there. You have to sort of get to know them and it takes time for them to get to know you. I mean, my youngest stepson was four when I met him. It was pretty easy because he was just so cute. I mean, it's easy to fall in love with a four-year-old. It's harder to fall in love with a teenager that's just like, hey, what's up, right? So luckily, um, I, I do have good relationships with my stepkids, and I am grateful for that. So I'm living here in Imperial County and not knowing what I'm going to do with myself. I end up getting on Big Brother, the reality show, almost because I lived in such a weird place that it's a better story. Because when I was a waitress, actress from Los Angeles, that's everybody. But when I'm this chick who lives in a place that nobody's heard of with a white husband, I'm a black woman and I've got five stepkids, it's stuck out. And I think if I had stayed in Los Angeles, I would not have ended up on the show. It was because I was just like everybody else. But this is different. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do professionally? So Along the way, oops, I hit my microphone. Along the way, I'm waiting tables again because I knew it was a job I could get, but I'm driving an hour and 15 minutes and I do it three days a week. Thankfully, the money's good enough back then working in fine dining, but an hour and 15 minutes each way, 71 miles. It was a lot, but you know, you do what you have to do to contribute to your family and pay the bills. And, um, I think that, yes, when I was on Big Brother, they had me listed as career, you know, your job. I, I was waitress living in the middle of nowhere. And um, so I end up on the reality show. And then after the reality show is over, my brief time on that show, I when you leave a reality show, even if you've only been on a, a very short time, you get a lot of public attention, which is fun and scary and weird all at the same time. And so I was asked to do a talk radio show because I had mentioned of all places on, I think it was on, I was on the Lance Bass show, Lance Bass from NSYNC, which was really cool because I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm just chilling with Lance Bass and got a picture with him and all that. And so that was fun. I think it was on XM satellite radio. I don't know if he still has the show. And so I'd mentioned, uh, they said, well, what would you like to be doing since waitressing isn't your dream job? I said, I talk radio. And so somebody heard that and I started a talk radio show, but it was about reality TV and pop culture. And I did that for a couple of years. And the only way that I knew to promote the show was through social media. So I learned how to use social media as a marketing tool. I basically was self-taught. And then I would watch videos on YouTube and just trial and error. What gets attention? What doesn't? That was the way I could reach the public. And I had, you know, 20,000 followers on Twitter. So it was a great base audience. And they already had known me and they loved reality TV. So that was a skill that I learned, okay, I can promote things through social media, any business anything that I'm doing, what, what have you. And then I think somewhere along the way within that two years, a friend of a friend had said, hey, and I, I really didn't even have that many friends. I don't remember how I met this one lady. Gosh, I, I don't even remember. But she said, oh, you know, I thought you might be interested 
there's a club called Toastmasters, which is a public speaking club. And I know that you came from the arts and I do the arts. Maybe you're interested. And I thought, well, okay. I studied speech in high school and in college and did competitive speech in high school and college. I kind of felt like, well, this might be remedial, but I'll get to meet people and do something I like. So while I'm there at the very first meeting, we meet at the Chamber of Commerce and the director of chamber of, of the Chamber of Commerce kind of mentions, oh, by the way, you know, happy to be hosting Toastmasters. We're looking for somebody who has skills in social media marketing. And I'm like, oh, me. They want to hire somebody. I'm like, maybe I should. I, I, I would Chamber of Commerce. I'll get to meet people. I won't have to wait tables. I'm like, yes. I don't have to drive an hour and 15 minutes, you know, at 11 o'clock at night when I get home from the restaurant. So I introduce myself to the director and I quickly update my resume. I send it in and he told me that 100 people applied for the job and I got the job. And it was because the way I even knew about social media was because I had to do the talk radio show, which was because I was on a reality show, which because I had moved here, right? It was all these things that were slowly connecting dots. So I work at the Chamber of Commerce and uh, I don't know if anybody's ever worked at a Chamber of Commerce, there's not a lot of money there. It's such a great opportunity because you learn about business and businesses. I learned more about the community and, um, you know, the, the, the state and local government. Like it was a great education. It was almost like college course crash session. Like I learned so much. I um, got to plan events. And so they, I, I became the events coordinator and just did all these things with sales and promoting the chamber and the town that I'm in. And I really enjoyed the job. And, um, but it wasn't enough for me to quit waitressing. So I would waitress one day a week and make an extra couple hundred dollars. And then the four days a week, I would work at the chamber of commerce. And um, along the way, I really loved the idea of helping small businesses with their marketing and with their social media and all of that, right? And so then something interesting happened, something I did not expect and wasn't necessarily good. I'm going to tell you what happened coming up after the break. Stay with me. Welcome back. Okay, so before the break, I was explaining. There I was working at the Chamber of Commerce, and everything's going along swimmingly. It's almost a couple years in, and I knew that there was a chance that there was going to be a shakeup at the chamber. I knew that there was a chance they were going to be laying some people off. We had heard and last hired, first fired, right? Now, laid off is not the same as being fired because, you know, they still like you. It just isn't going to structurally work out. So financially and structurally work out as far as the business goes. But I started thinking, well, I don't want to be laid off. Maybe I could start my own business. 
because I had done all these things and learned about social media marketing and marketing and events coordinating and the businesses locally. And I knew I wanted to do events. I just didn't know what. And when I say events, it's tricky because when you say you produce events, I'm an event producer, right? People think, oh, weddings and quinceañeras and birthdays, that's an event planner. Event producer starts the idea in their head and brings it out into fruition. So there's no other party that someone else is having. You create events and market and sell so that people come to your events, right? So I'm an event producer. That's what I became. I decided to leave the chamber, which was really hard. I really enjoyed it there and start my own business. And I I thought, well, I can do this marketing and do all these things. And what kind of events do I want to do? And I, I, I think I started doing a, like a, an online sort of web show about the county where I live. And so then I kind of learned about video um, editing and producing videos, which was great later on down the road. But now I've started my own business and I start to do little small jobs here and there, helping people build their website and marketing and social media marketing and photography and video and all of these things. And then I'm like, okay, I say that I'm going to create the events for this business. What am I going to create? And I'm racking my brain and I can't, I'm like, well, let me see. Coachella is relatively close to here. I live about mm, an hour and hour and 10 minutes, maybe hour and five minutes from Coachella Valley, which in case you're not familiar, Coachella is that huge music festival that takes place every, every summer that has all these bands and, you know, Rihanna and all these artists and hip hop and just everything, right? Um, and it's this huge festival in the Coachella Valley. And I thought, well, we have the same weather. It's desert weather. Maybe I could do something down here that someday will be as maybe not nearly as big as Coachella, but big. And I thought about music. I, I just didn't know what to do. And I was talking it over with my husband and he said, I know what you should do one day. And we're in the kitchen. And I remember he was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He said, I think you should do an agricultural expo, agriculture or agricultural expo. And I said, there isn't one already. I mean, I live in a place where the number one industry by a landslide, by a mile, by a long shot is agriculture. So I would have assumed they had an ag expo. I grew up in Colorado. They have every kind of ski and snowboard expo you can think of because it's a mountain state, right? And world-class skiing. Well, here it's an agricultural county. Why don't they have an ag expo? And for those of you who don't know, when you, when you live in an agricultural valley, people here call it ag. When I moved here, somebody said, oh, does your husband work in ag? I said, does he have, huh, what? She's like in ag. And I was like, oh, oh, agriculture. I didn't know that was the lingo, right? So that's what it's called here. People generally don't call it the whole word. It's I work in ag. Um, so long story short, I talked to some people, did a little research, and the funniest thing happened. Like the people I talked to at the local farm bureau, they were like, you should do this. We've been wanting to do something like this. We will support you however we can. And I'm like, awesome. And I got all the support from local businesses. And I started to realize that I knew 
a fair amount about agriculture just because I had been married to, technically my husband is considered a farmer, but again, he doesn't grow anything, but working in the industry, you are a farmer, right? So just by being married to him and asking questions, I knew a thing or two. Now, by, by no means was I an expert, but I was no dummy. I mean, we would drive down these country roads and I would look at these crops and I'd go alfalfa, Bermuda, Sudan. Yes. And we'd high five each other and I could just identify them. And he would tell me, um, okay, well, he would ask me, well, what is that machine? I'd say, well, that's a combine and that's a swather. And on the front of the combine, that's the header. And I'm just like, oh my God, all of these things that I had learned because it, I was curious. I'm a naturally curious person. So I could have an educated conversation with people who worked in agriculture. I, under, I understand the water issues when you live in a desert and there's all these fights about water issues, which is I won't even get into, but we have a canal system that's world-class that feeds the crops. Otherwise, it doesn't rain here, so there's no water. We get our water from the um, Colorado River. It, it flows downhill, and then they have a whole canal system to spread it all over this valley. It's pretty fascinating. But again, I won't get into that. So I started this agriculture expo and I, I knew that I had this vision and we did scholarships and grants and we had a two day event where it was a dinner. That's where we gave away the scholarship and grant money. And so we helped all, all these young people who want to go to college or study agricultural themes, you know, industries, whether they want to be a veterinarian or whatever, a farmer doesn't even matter, a scientist of science, work in water. There's so many things in agriculture. And the idea, by the way, that farming is dying is just not true. It's changing. I hear that a lot. People, oh, farmer, it's dying. Most of the farmers I know, multimillionaires, and they've lost their shirt many times because it's a gambling industry. You gamble. Will people eat corn this year? Sometimes they do, and you make tons of money. Sometimes they don't, and you lost money. So it's seriously a gambling industry. And they work harder than anybody I know. So we were able to do such great. And when I say we, my husband helped me with this. So it's very much a we. And then I had a couple of part-time employees and volunteers and all of these things. And so we were able to do so much. And it was just this thing that had been in my head. And the day that I did the dinner before the very first Ag Expo, and I gave this speech, and I was like, it was it was from my like core of my being. And I knew that people were on the edge of their seats listening to this person who agriculture is mostly white. I've mentioned this before. Here where I live, it's a white dominated industry. They control everything. Sure, there are a few Latinos that control things, but there are no black people here in agriculture. There is a black farmers association on the other side of the country, but there are zero black people that run anything in agriculture. And then if you work your way down the ladder, you might find the odd black person. I've never met one. And at the very least, there are zero black females in the entire industry in this county. So I'm the only one. And that is incredibly intimidating. So to be able to do this, and people would look at me sideways like, wait, you have an ag expo? Who do you work for? Well, I work for my company. But who's your company? Who runs it? Well, I start. So it was definitely a huge undertaking. But I did it. And so the first day was the dinner. And the second day was a vendor-based events. We had 
two live bands and food vendors and tours and tractor displays and equipment displays and all these vendors from banking to finance. Well, that's the same thing to real estate because, you know, agriculture needs to buy property. They need a dentist to brush their teeth, whatever. So it was all these industries that want to connect with the industry of agriculture and also ag itself that wanted to connect with other businesses. I mean, you name it from um, what do you call it? Drone salesmen, because drones, they use drones to oversee the fields, all kinds of stuff. And when it was over, I was just like, oh. first of all, I was incredibly exhausted because it was very stressful. But it was like a dream come true. Because to think about something, to have an idea, and then to envision it, and put it all together and then reach out to a community and sell it and get sponsorship because I had no money. I basically had to say, I have an idea. Do you believe in this idea? You do? Now give me your money. That's how it works when you produce an event. So you get all these sponsors that basically buy into something they can't see, they can't touch, and they've never experienced before. So you have to be the best salesperson you can and you have to have other businesses believing in it and so therefore other businesses believe in it. And so it it was just completely overwhelming but beautiful at the same time because I had a vision of what it should be and the day that I stepped into the event center and I saw it, I mean, it literally took my breath away because it was it was like I stepped into my imagination. And if you've ever experienced anything like that, it was like out of body. Because no matter who you are, at least in my case, no matter what you've done in your life, there's always going to be some bit of self-doubt. And there was always a sense that I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Nine months, nine and a half, 10 months, it took me to build this thing. It was my baby to create it, to sell it, to hear no when I would call people multiple times and then yes and celebrate like, yes, somebody else is sending me a check. I can afford to pay for the tablecloths for the table. I can afford to pay for the chicken for the dinner. I can afford to pay for the other hall for the band and I have the outdoor and the thing and the parking and the security guard. And then I had to learn about permits and health permits and insurance and everything that I knew nothing about or very little. And I did it. And so to have all of this come together, my baby was life changing. And it was so extraordinary to experience that. And I was so proud of myself and my husband and, <clears throat> and the, the community that supported this idea. And it was extraordinary. I mean, that's just the best way to explain it, to be able to help people, business or organizations that took our scholarship money and the young people from uh, Future Farmers of America and 4-H, all of that. And to help businesses make money because you gave them an opportunity to expose themselves to other businesses is incredibly rewarding. And I did it. And the funny thing was, it was just all of these things that led, you know, it started from moving here and not knowing what I'm going to do. And then the next thing, and then a reality show, and then working at a chamber, and then somebody who knew something introduced me to that person. And then that person said this, and then this, and then it was like thing after thing after thing after thing. And I never knew any of that was going to lead to any of this. And so then 
when women would come up to me in particular when the Ag Expo was finished and I would go to different mixers and chamber events and business events and they would come up and say, you, you're the one who did the Ag Expo? Oh my God, I heard about it. I saw you on the news. I read it in the paper. I mean, I was everywhere because I had to promote this. I mean, I always would say I would go to the opening of a door to try to promote this because I had to make it work, right? I had to raise funds for all of this. I had just me. So I went wherever I could and talked to whoever I could. And that's why we're in the paper and on the news and whatever. So women would come up to me and say, that was you? Oh my gosh, I saw that. Or I went to your event or my husband went or I heard about it, read in the paper, blah, 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 blah that's so awesome that you did such a huge undertaking and you were like fearless and you did that. Oh my gosh, you didn't know anybody and how you're just not even from here. And over and over they'd say, Oh my God, I'd be too scared to do something. I would be afraid. And I kept hearing, how is it you did something and you weren't afraid? And I was like, are you kidding me? And I've talked about this before. I was totally afraid and I just kept going because that's all you can do. And so when I heard that, that's when I knew I needed to start a women's business empowerment event, which was my second big event. And I started Power Up. And so now my business became two anchor events. And in between there, I would teach social media workshops and um, public speaking workshops and do one-on-one trainings and all of these things. And that's what my business became. And in between there, people would ask me to speak. And I knew all along, years ago, that I had wanted to be a motivational speaker. And I don't know when you like officially like, like you get minted, that official like, that's my sound effect too. It's like stamp of approval, you officially count as a motivational speaker. But I knew that's what I wanted to do a long time ago. I think when I was I don't even know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, and I saw Oprah and how, how she would touch people and connect people 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. And so I started that Women's Business Empowerment event. I mean, women cried at this event and they changed how they looked at their businesses and they took chances. And that's what I wanted to do was to touch and inspire people whether they're in agriculture or they're professional women or who they are. I speak to teenagers and schools. I do all these kinds of things. And it all started from when I first moved here and I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, tears like you would not believe, sobbing. How am I going to find anything to do here? There's nothing for me. How is it going to work out? I'm not a farmer. I don't know anybody. I'm new to this area. I don't have any friends. I only have my friends from other cities and childhood and college. Thank God for them. You know who you are. I love you. But I had nothing. I had a beautiful husband and a beautiful marriage and relationship. I was a new stepmom. I was losing it. I was driving back and forth 71 miles each way, right? how am I going to do anything? And I was angry. I didn't know what was going to lead to what was going to lead to what was going to lead to what thing to thing to thing to thing. And I look back at all of that and I am so grateful because 
if I had just come here and said, well, there's no hope for me and just turned around and left, I can't be here, I would have never been able to start my own company. If I had just said, oh, there's no hope, let me just get a job that I hate so it just pays the bills, I would have never been able to start my own company. If I didn't believe that I could just keep trying, even though I was afraid, and just keep going, if I didn't believe that I could just take a risk, a risk to start my own business when I felt like nobody believed in me, I wouldn't have been able to start my own business and call myself an entrepreneur. That is a huge word. I remember so many times I would go to these mixers and I would meet industry professionals in the agriculture industry and they would look at me sideways like what are you doing in agriculture and i didn't know if it was because i was black i didn't know if it was because i was woman a woman i didn't even, i didn't know if it was both or just because they didn't get they didn't get me i could see that in their eyes all the time you make no sense lady they'd be polite but they expected some kind of farmer to be doing an agriculture expo. But farmers are busy growing things. That's what they do. If you've ever met a farmer, you will know that they are some of the hardest working people, but they put their head down and they work. They're not big communicators. They don't think about events and event coordinating. That's what I do. It was hard. I would wake up stressed. I would watch my my TED Talks on YouTube about motivation and inspiration and keeping going. And if I hadn't gone through all of that, I don't think I would be able to do this. Because all of the self-doubt and the fear and the worry and the stress that I went through, there were nuggets of truth and lessons, and I was forced to look myself in the mirror and say, you are capable of this, Jody Rollins. And so I'm grateful. I never would have thought when I was about to get laid off from my job that that would lead to anything good. I never would have thought that working in waitressing for decades would have led to anything good. I met so many people. I met people who helped sponsor this agriculture expo. It was a weird, strange thing that happened. There are no coincidences. When you work in fine dining, everything you do is sales. The way I learned how to sell my events was from selling wine and steaks to people. I could sell like nobody's business. I don't even drink and I would win wine sales contests at my job. I've never drank a glass of wine in my life. But I knew about it. I studied wine. We'd have wine tasting and I would smell it. I would ask. I would read the notes. I would listen to the, the wine purveyor and they would come in and give us, you know, these talks about where it comes from and the varietals and how the, the grapes are harvested and harvested and they're in oak cast barrels and all these things. I knew my crap. But I never knew that all of that would lead to this. All of that, all of those things that I went through enabled me to believe that I was capable and good enough to be able to do something I've always wanted to do, which was to have a talk show. 
And so I'm grateful for all the pain and the suffering because it was suffering. It's, there is, a, it, there is um, a thing that I love this and I hope I don't get it wrong. In agriculture, and my husband taught me this and it's one of those most beautiful things I think I've ever heard. And that is that if you have a field and you water it and it gets sunlight and everything, it's fertilized, whatever, and it starts to grow, if you stress the field, in other words, cut back on the water or certain nutrients, it will push forward the strongest, best version of the crop it possibly can. But the only way to get the best out of the crop is to stress it out because then it puts forth its best effort and grows. And I'm like, that's the human experience. If everything was cushy and comfortable, we wouldn't do anything different. But the little kernels of wisdom come from our stressors and our growth and our experiences. And that's where the gratitude lies. I look back over my life and I think about all the pain and all the suffering and all the difficulty that I've gone through. And I've shared some of it, and I'll share more of it as time goes on. But I am so grateful to be here where I am now. My show, I wish that thousands and thousands were listening to it, but you guys are listening consistently, and I am grateful. It is hard not to say, why aren't there at least 10,000 people listening? That's not possible. You have to start somewhere. And you guys are here. And not a day goes by where somebody doesn't click on an episode, at least one person, and usually several, many. And I'm so grateful. And so here we are. It's about to be Thanksgiving. And I'm trying to really practice gratitude and thankfulness. As hard as it is to be a step parent, there were things about myself that I could not have learned if I wasn't. They taught me that. My stepkids have taught me so much. And being able to do this show and talk to you guys, I'm grateful. What are you grateful for? I spent many Christmases and Thanksgivings alone in Los Angeles. I would do my friends giving and th things like that. But when I first moved to Los Angeles, I didn't know anybody. So I spent my time alone. And then Christmas, I would put up my little Christmas tree and, you know, people would send gifts, my family or friends and cards and stuff. And I wouldn't open any of that till the next day. And it was me and my dog. And now I have a family. If you're alone right now, it's okay. Hang in there. If you're missing your family, find something to be grateful for. Your health, your physical capabilities, your mental capabilities, your job if you still have one. Something, no matter who we are, we have something or things that we can be thankful and grateful for. I just found out that two people I know have been diagnosed with COVID. And one of them just recently had been recovering from cancer and she's okay. 
but her spouse is in the hospital and he's older. Nothing's promised. Nothing. They're just, they both just decided to retire early and enjoy their lives after the cancer scare. And now he's in the hospital with COVID. We've got to live our lives in a place of gratitude because we don't know what's next. Sometimes taking it back to the year 2000, we worry about things and all the catastrophe and all the bad that could be coming and nothing bad is really going to happen. We're just worried. That's exactly what happened in Y2K. The year 2000 came and everything was exactly the same. So I think that if we find a place of gratitude and thankfulness and stop worrying about what's going to happen and stop stressing about what might happen, one of my favorite things that I tell myself anytime I say, what if, it's never good. Any sentence you start with, what if, is never, what if my podcast gets more successful than I ever dreamed? It's always, what if I can't do it? What if this goes wrong? What if, what if? Stay in a place of gratitude. And you're human. I'm human. It's not something we can always do perfectly. I think a lot of times I hear these celebrities and they're like, I live a place of gratitude and my life is grateful and blah, blah, blah. Okay, yes. But it's hard. And sometimes we slip up and sometimes we're going to be stressed and sometimes we're busy and running and going and doing and the kids and this and that and job and school, whatever, and COVID. But just stop. Ooh, take a deep breath. That's my theme for the last couple episodes. <laughs> and be grateful. Be thankful that you're alive for another Thanksgiving. Because over 200,000 people don't get to see this one from COVID. And however many more of hundreds and thousands and millions of people who died or can't celebrate all over the world for whatever reason they might be celebrating since, you know, Thanksgiving is not a national holiday. I mean, international holiday. It's in Canada and a few other places. I actually, I don't know if other places have their Thanksgiving, but anyway, be thankful. I am thankful for all of you because you allow me to do this. This is a dream come true. I love this. Thank you for listening to every show that you've listened to. Thank you for clicking subscribe. If you haven't, please do. Thank you for following me on Instagram. If you haven't, please do. Under my name, Jody Rollins. Thank you. If you want to write the show and let me know how you're doing, if you're feeling alone, you can always write me at... Uh, Big time small talk podcast at gmail.com. See, I always mention all that stuff every every episode. But thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it however you're gonna do it. Stay safe, wear a mask, socially distance, eat outside, whatever. <sighs> Happy Thanksgiving. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it.